Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Super Bowl is here, so bet with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a 50% match with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And it's the same lineup from last week. We had our offensive preview last week for the 2021 Gators, and we'll fast forward for an early preview for the defense this week, joining me as it did last week is Will Miles and his site read and reaction.com. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and also Nick Newton from American Football Stories. Guys, uh, got some pretty good feedback for the, uh, the offense last week. Yeah, well, that's the encouraging side of the ball. So now we get to the side that everybody's a little bit pensive about. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll see whether people still like us at the end of this one because uh, I think there's some good news, I think there's some bad news, but obviously, uh, it's it's good to talk about. It's early, right? We probably still got some guys who might be coming in to help. So, um, you know, not exactly who everybody hoped, but you know, the staff changes that we've seen uh, are interesting to talk about, and we'll see uh, see what everybody thinks. Yeah, Nick, we'll we'll, we'll get into it for sure. But uh, probably the highlight, and we'll get into all of it too for sure. Transfers, new hires, and that's uh, that's what we'll be getting into on in this episode. Yeah, and like Will said too last week, pleasant thoughts about the offense. Uh, here's our anger episode where we can maybe not anger, maybe we can put a positive slant on it for for some stretches. It can't get any worse than 21. That's the good part about looking ahead with the defense. But uh, oh my, you know, how, many, how many times do we say that about the Florida offense under Will Muschamp? And, and you know what, <laughs> Doug Nussmeyer. And if you keep saying something, you're eventually right. You're eventually right. So just keep saying it. So I I, I think that this could be uh, a little cathartic too. Yeah, I think so, too. Thanks. So uh, we'll get into it. But before uh, before we do, uh, remi- uh, announcement for this Thursday, I'll be in Gainesville for a uh, come together pretty quick here. But a speaking engagement uh, for the Fighting Gator Touchdown Club will be at the Fairfield Inn and Suite starting at 7 p.m. So come join us for an evening of talking Florida Gators football with the Fighting Gator Touchdown Club. That's in Gainesville at the Fairfield Inn at 7 p.m. Before we get to the meat of the episode, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News4Jacks coverage of the Gators. Help us out. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. really helps us out. 
Live on YouTube, you'll notice the new Super Chat feature here on Gators Breakdown for donation. It'll highlight your comment for everyone in the chat to see, and if you do so, I'll post it on the stream as well, as long as it's supportive and pertinent to the topic. No cussing, no cussing, of course. Can't share that here on the uh, podcast. Uh, If you just want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform and follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Guys, let's start up front. Uh, defensive tackle. We'll start there because that's been the position that's been hit pretty well as far as the transfer portal goes for the Gators and uh, getting some much needed help, uh, of course, on the interior in the form of transfers. Antonio Shelton from Penn State, Daquan Newkirk from Auburn, some much needed proven production at the defensive tackle spot after Kyrie Campbell and Tadaryl Slayton move on. You know, to get the pair of these guys with Gervin Dexter, the five-star freshman that uh, should be a pretty good rotation uh, be- between the three bodies there. Add in Jalen Humphreys, Jalen Lee, Lamar Goods, as players you hope to see more from in 2021. The depth looks better than it did uh, when the 2020 season was over, uh, getting those two transfers in. The biggest thing for me is with that number and, and getting the players like Shelton and Kirk in the fold, it allows other players to, to play their natural positions. And we, we said that many times last year, and you know, especially the beginning of 2020, was that Carter, Brenton Cox playing out of position. Carter was playing inside instead of defensive end. Cox was playing defensive end instead of standing up on the edge. So not only do you get guys that can play their positions and have experience elsewhere doing so, helps the entire defensive front and getting better uh, players staying in their – the better players staying in their positions – and then adding signees, Desmond Watson, Christopher Thomas as well. And I, I want to bring up Watson because there's no one else at the position like him. Even though he's a true freshman, early enrollee, you know, most labeled him as an underrated prospect with his size, but he brings that plug ability. And he'll need to lose some of that bad weight coming in. Uh, so he'll be one of the more important pieces to get Nick savaged. But <laughs> here we go. Going back to the transfers right quick. New Kirk Shelton. Um, Newkirk, you know, transferred from Auburn, uh, and 2020 was pretty much his first full season after he had two prior Achilles injuries, 6'3", 317, quick little nugget. He also played running back in high school. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Uh, went to Juco route first, started nine games for Auburn last year, 28 tackles, 3-4 loss, six tackles in the game versus Tennessee last year. It'll be a nice piece in the rotation that can play you know, some defensive end and bigger packages if they need him to. Antonio Shelton started 21 games dating back to 2019 for Penn State, 31 tackles, eight and a half for loss, and four sacks along the way um, in, in his starts. In nine games this past season, he secured a career best, four and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, and two and a half during the final two games for Penn State. Known as an emotional presence for Penn State on, on the defensive front, he was their hype man, getting his teammates hyped up before games. Six foot two, 327 pounds, appeared in 40 Nittany Lion games following a redshirt 2016 season uh, and finished his career at Happy Valley with 51 tackles, 12 and a half for loss, six sacks. Played a lot of football, best suited for holding up blockers that have helped Florida's linebackers. Will, a whole lot there at defensive tackle that when Florida walked out of you know Dallas in the Cotton Bowl, wasn't too sure we'd have these two guys on there, and they were very, very, very much needed. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I think the thing that gets overlooked in terms of the defense not being able to stop anybody through the air last year is they couldn't stop anybody on the ground either. So when you look at yards per rush allowed, they ranked 81st in the country. They were 88th in yards per pass allowed. So it was really kind of equal opportunity, futility. 
And actually, when you look back at 2018, Florida ranked 52nd in yards per rush allowed and then 13th in 2019. And when you look at that 2019 roster, the thing you notice is two things, I suppose. One is that you had Kyrie Campbell and Adam Schuler, who really stepped up to be big time, big time starters, 68 total tackles, nine tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. And when you look at Newkirk and you look at Shelton last year's production, you're at 42 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss and five sacks. So not exactly the same as Campbell and Schuler a couple years ago, but you're approaching that. And when you combine that with Gravon Dexter, who last year had 20 tackles, two for loss and a half a sack, I do think you start to approximate a team that's going to be able to at least hold its own up front. And maybe you don't get to that, you know, top 15 ranking in terms of yards per rush allowed, but you do get back into that, you know, 30, 40, 50th ranking, which allows you to have a defense that's at least serviceable. I mean, that, that, the, the thing is, is that the linebackers oftentimes got eaten up because the defensive players couldn't hold their end because the defensive line couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. You mentioned guys playing out of position. That's one of the things that I think Shelton and Newkirk bring is is allowing Zach Carter and, and Brenton Cox to play their natural positions. But the other, but it's not just like they're plugging a hole, right? It does look like they've got some skill. They've, they've put up some stats other places. And then, you know, when you think about the defensive line, Dylan Meeks, who's a defensive end from Akron, is also coming into the fold as a walk-on. And I know people are going to sleep on him a little bit, but 47 tackles last year with a tackle for loss and a half a sack. So he's used to playing Division One football. Or that was hey, 2019. Not, he sat out 2020. But not, Dante Lane got moved from offense tight end to defensive line. So believe me, the, having a guy from Akron, I, I'm not going to sneeze at that. I, 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 I will take that over Dante Lane switching, switching sides of the ball to get some reps. Well, we'll probably see that too because yeah, they still need <laughs> – that's the thing, right, is even with the transfers, if the guys who they've recruited don't step up, they're still going to be thin. Um, so it's great that they have these two defensive tackles in. It's I think these are guys who are going to contribute. Um, but it is part of the worrying trend of having to continue to plug holes through the transfer portal, and you hope to see – some of the younger guys step up and really compete for playing time, you know, and, and not just allow Newkirk to come in and have the starting job right next to Dexter. You know, you really hope that you see the young guys really push and, and potentially even displace these guys because, you know, they're transferring in. These other guys have been on the system for a little bit longer. You'd like to see um, the transfers get pushed and everybody get better because of it. Nick, man, yeah, I've been going into to, to last year and, and looking at it. Gervin Dexter, I mean, look, he was the prize recruit of the class. So no surprise that he got the most playing time out of the true freshman. But, you know, there weren't a lot of true freshmen on the team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You were so experienced there. You didn't really expect it. Uh, but, you know, a lot of true freshmen, you know, because of missing spring, because of not a normal offseason, you didn't see a lot of freshmen get a lot of playing time. Gervin Dexter, you know, definitely him being the five-star, you would have liked to see, hey, if this five-star could have got the normal offseason, the normal Nick Savage, the, the everything right. that goes through a normal spring and a normal fall camp, how much better he would have been. We, we, I, look, to me, he played as probably his one of his better games, if not best game versus Alabama in the SEC championship game. And don't get me wrong, I know Alabama scored pretty much at will, but still, there were things you could you could pick out if you if you really wanted to against one of the best offenses in the country. But, you know, going to Will's point, you got to be strong up front. We want to see Gervin Dexter take that next step. But also, yeah, those guys that didn't get a lot of playing time underneath him uh, last year, Lee Humphreys, those guys, yeah, we're going to have to hear their name before the season's over with. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, Dexter is the guy to absolutely circle 
because he is going to be the star of this team. If if everything progresses as planned, he's going to be the, the star of this team. He's already got NFL size. And it's like you said, it's extra impressive what he did last season. I know he didn't necessarily jump out entirely throughout the year, but it's extra impressive considering you know all the COVID issues they had where maybe the guy's working out from home with a you know just a workout sheet from the Gators for most uh, you know until he gets on campus or something like that. So I I'd like to see him develop and grow. It's going to be great seeing him get a full offseason, full amount of work. Uh, I, I, we interviewed on the American Football Stories podcast, we interviewed Kevin Kelly uh, in October, and he said one of the biggest issues with his team, uh, he's a high school coach out in Arkansas, the one that never punts, uh, one of the biggest issues with his team was the defensive side of the ball. It was absolutely more effective than uh, the offensive side with all the COVID regulations and not being able to hit and everything. And I know at the beginning of the season, we wanted to think that was the main issue with the with the defense, but we really saw problems at all levels of this defense. So it would be nice if we can at least get a point of the defense that we could really rely on this year. And that's why I think the transfers of Newkirk, Sheldon, and I was going to bring up Meeks too because Meeks is not a guy. None of these guys are be guys big stack guys. You're not going to see him show up with stat, like sacks, a ton of sacks or anything, but they're going to help clog up the middle and let some of these great athletes we have uh, run to the ball. And get there, and and really, if Dexter develops the way he's supposed to, he's going to be that monster in the middle anyway. Yeah, you're not going to get the stats from these guys. It's going to allow Vitro Miller and, and Diabate and Cox. It's going to allow those guys to get the stats. You know, if those guys mm-hmm. have good stats, you can probably point to up to, uh, up the middle, uh, being being the reason or hell or some of the reason uh, those guys get some some good stats. And while we're talking about and bringing those guys up, we'll go to the next grouping and the group that benefits from these transfers. As I said earlier, earlier, Zachary Carter being able to come back and hopefully play a big majority of his time and with, with his hand in the dirt at defensive end. It'll only help him and help the Gators there. Brenton Cox will be standing up off the edge. We'll look for him to take that next step in becoming uh, a more well-rounded, more consistent threat on the edge. Jeremiah Moon's coming back for another year. It sounds like he's finally found a new foot doctor that can uh, treat what's been a nagging injury for him the last couple of years with his foot. Then add in players that we saw flashes from last year, Chatfield, Bogle, Human Melan. Summerall, Antoine Powell, and the Gators certainly won't, you know, have to force in new signees, Tyreek Sapp and Justice Boone into roles next season. You know, we say we, we saw some good and potential in those players. Uh, spring can really help those guys separate a bit from each other, but the three I'll probably point to, and we saw make some plays last year, Chatfield, Bogle, Human Melan, and I know in limited time, it was late in games. There was the ones to me that can help, you know, push the starters, carve out roles for themselves, as long as, as you know, the season progresses there, there's a lot of speed there. But these, to me, these are the guys that need Nick Savage more than anybody on the team uh, right now. There's a lot of speed there, but normal strength and conditioning, the, the most – Florida got pushed around a bit going to Will's point, got, got pushed around a bit in the trenches last season. The physicality wasn't necessarily there with any consistency – a lot of speed, but the mentality needs to change. And, look, I think Mullen knows that with this group. I think it starts with them getting that little nasty streak and kind of just getting back to what we saw the last few years uh, for these guys getting into the backfield and harassing quarterbacks. Yeah, Bogle was the guy who really flashed to me. He was the guy who they brought, they started Jeremiah Moon most of the first half of the year, and he struggled, right? He struggled in coverage. He struggled getting the quarterback. The minute they started subbing in Bogle, um, you know, things got better. They got better pass rush, particularly, you know, I was thinking about the game against Vanderbilt, I believe. Um, they were really struggling to stop Vandy, which is says something about the defense, but they were really struggling to stop Vandy. 
And um, Bogle is the guy who came in and really started to help Cox on the other side, start to put some pressure on the defense. But the issue was, is that when you had Bogle in there, you could run right at him and he was too young and the, or too small and the offensive lineman could push him back. So that's really going to be sort of the, like I would really love to see this defense at some point, especially on third downs, mimic the New York Giants in those years where they terrorized the Patriots, where you've got four guys, you know, you take a larger defensive end and shift him into the inside. All that stuff that Zachary Carter learned last year about going inside on third down should really help him terrorize the quarterback if guys like um if, if guys like Bogle and guys like Summerall and guys like Human Melan can really take a step up and start to really pressure off the edge. There's some talent there. And so you're right, Dave. I mean the, the reality is is that if those guys get a little bit stronger and can hold up against the run, then it'll make a big difference in terms of their ability to, to really sort of free up those linebackers to make plays. Um, but it all still sort of filters back to those defensive tackles, right? Being able to mm-hmm. occupy a double team, which allows Cox, allows Moon, allows Human Milan, allows you know anybody who's out there, Chatfield, to have one-on-one on the outside. Because you, know, you wound up with, with – Cox and Carter were guys you had to double team last year and really nobody else. And so in critical situations, Florida struggled to get pressure with the front four. And we'll see. I mean, I think a little bit of enhanced strength this year um, really should be able to help them get pressure with their front four, allow the have more than one guy who can occupy a double team, which means you're going to get some one-on-one matchups. And then when you bring the blitzing that Grantham likes to do, it won't just be an easy pickup because the running back will have to make a choice. Or if there's no running back, you'll have a free runner at the quarterback. And we didn't see that a lot last year. We saw it where, you know, oftentimes they were, the offensive line was able to take the defensive lineman one-on-one allowing an offensive lineman then to pick up the blitz. And then Florida couldn't get there. And then the secondary got picked apart. Nick, we, uh, we talked recruiting here a good bit and the importance of it. And Florida had one, you know, a five-star in Britton Cox. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back a little bit, how would you agree what you saw from him? Uh, was it, you know, too critical because he has that five-star uh, status on him? And, and again, the transfer from Georgia, you know, probably not as consistent as the season that we've wanted to. We kind of mentioned, you know, the beginning here of playing out of position, especially toward the beginning of the season when Kyrie Campbell was out, having to play more defensive end than he probably wanted to. Uh, but you know, to me, he he's going to have to be the leader of these guys to to to, to you know, bring it all together and be that force of a of a Jakai Polite and J- Jonathan Grenard and, and Jabari Zuniga that we've seen uh, in, in in these past years under Todd Grantham. Well, Cox definitely jumps out. The athletic ability is there. I mean, even I, I was it was McShay on a game. I, I remember one of the sideline reports. I think McShay, McShay, Todd McShay was on a game, and he's talking about how by far he's the best athlete on the field jumping off at the page. But to me, I, I saw too many times this year where he was a little undisciplined coming off the edge. You talk about him playing out of position a little bit that could get fixed this year. He did improve as the season went along, but especially early on, he was coming upfield a lot. I, I saw, I would see him coming upfield a lot. I'd like to see him play a little more. Uh, I, I think it's good. You'd rather, uh, I think I heard Gus Bradley when he was coaching the Jaguars back in the day, say uh, you'd rather tell, you'd rather tell a horse, uh, You'd rather tell a horse uh, whoa than giddy up, you know. So the guy, the guys out there trying to make some plays can't fault him for that. But I do like his his energy, the fact that he's uh, getting out there. He's in the mix a lot of times. You see him in, in, around the ball a lot too. I, I do like that about him. I think he can clean it up a little bit and. 
be more effective on the field. Uh, the other thing, too, you talked about the attitude, the defensive attitude. Man, I, if you guys haven't looked up with Shelton from Penn State, Taylor Shelton, just go on YouTube, check it out. He's got a clip on there where he's got the whole team circle up around him. He's the guy charging them up before the game, yelling at them and everything. And uh, I think that type of leadership, I, he he just strikes me as a guy that's not going to come in and be quiet on day one. He strikes me as a guy that's going to step in there and have a presence in that locker room from day one. So even, again, we talked about not necessarily showing up on the stat sheet, could be a good uh, uh, boost for the guys around him. Yeah, I, I really do like the makeup of this defensive front. The defensive tackles were a necessity. I mean, you didn't want to have to rely on Gervin Dexter and those unproven defensive tackles that you had, uh, you know, you didn't get to see of see, see a lot of last year. That was not going to cut it for Florida after the issues that we saw uh, from this defense last year. So I, I think, you know, the, the front six, seven, however they want to break it up there for, for the Gators and, and formation-wise – yeah, I do wonder. You know, do we see anything different? Is this you know, from this defensive front? That's that, that's Todd Grantham's baby. Not not the secondary. You can kind of go to the linebackers a bit too, but the outside linebackers, the defensive line. That that's Todd Grantham's baby. And you know, at points last year, it just was it, it was not there. You didn't get the pressure with any kind of consistency. You know, you you were always able kind of to rely on Florida being able to good a good run defense and even you know, in the bigger games last year especially the Texas A&M game that was a that was a good running team don't get me wrong uh but you know that was a team that just kind of torched Florida uh there at the beginning of the year and then of course Alabama did what they did versus everybody that's probably the two performances there if you want to look at a, a light luster rush defense uh there for the Gators but you know combining defensive tackle defensive end what we just discussed I like it as a starting point but of course you know I think we just kind of have to see the, the the culture change for me is going to have to come there, uh, starting up front. We saw, even with, you know, you had C.J. Henderson back there in, in years in, in years previous for Todd Grantham defense, and you know the defensive. I I, I still think the defensive front helped that secondary a bit more when they when they weren't getting the pressure. You saw the safety play and how bad it could get. You saw the corners not being able to cover and and the communication between the corners and the safeties. I think the defensive front being able to get to the quarterback masked a lot of those issues in 2018, 2019. You didn't get that last year. So I do think, you know, it's pretty big. If we're talking about them defense, I've said this before, it, it probably relies too much on the defensive front. Yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> – it does, but that's that's his calling card, right? I mean that 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 that's what he relies on. He's gonna blitz. He's gonna leave his guys out on islands, and we have seen that sometimes on third downs it's a problem when we haven't been able to get to the quarterback. You know, anytime that we played Jake Fromm or we played Joe Burrow a couple years ago, couldn't get to him, and then at that point there wasn't anything you could do when you couldn't get to the quarterback because the defensive backfield couldn't hold up. I think it's interesting. You know, I mentioned double teams. So if you go back and you look at 2018, Jakai Polite leads the team with 11 sacks, and then you had Zanigo was six and a half on the on the outside. Voshan Joseph had four, and then pretty much nobody had more than two or three sacks the whole way through that team. You go to last year or 2019, and you've got uh, you know you got Jonathan Gennard has ten sacks, then Zach Carter with four and a half, and then a whole bunch of people who are sort of at the two or three sack mark. Um, Diabate at four back in 2019, and then you go to 2020, and there just isn't that guy who has ten. Right. You've got you've got Carter, who's got five. You've got Cox with three and a half. Ventrell Miller with three and a half. Chris Bogle with three and a half. And then you got the sort of, you know, 
smorgasbord of people at three and two. Florida still had a lot of sacks last year, but it was much more spread out amongst the various defensive linemen, which to me says, one, that they weren't winning one. There wasn't one guy who was winning one on one battles consistently. And then the other thing that it says is that they were probably trying to, they were probably generating those sacks by bringing extra pressure, right? That sometimes the blitzer gets the sack, sometimes the defensive lineman gets the sack, or the defensive end gets the sack, sometimes the defensive tackle gets the sack based on where the breakdown is, as opposed to just a guy winning the battle one on one. And so that's what they need this year. They need a defensive lineman who can put up 10, 11, 12 sacks who can win the one-on-one battles, who can command double teams and free up the rest of the defensive linemen, regardless of whether they're bringing a blitz or not. And then you can drop into coverage while still getting to the quarterback. And, you know, if you think back to 2018 when the defense was really good, particularly the game against LSU with the pick six against Burrow, they just absolutely tormented Burrow. And it was mostly with the front four. Every once in a while, Voshan Joseph came on a blitz. But for the most part, it was the front four. It was polite. And it was Zuniga just driving him crazy. And they got that fumble. You know, LSU drove right down the field, scored a touchdown the first drive. We're driving down again. Polite hits Burrow from the backside. And the game was completely different from then then on. And, and that's what was missing this year, right? There weren't a whole lot of turnovers. There weren't ducks that came flying out from the quarterback where the defensive backs had easy picks. There weren't strip sacks for fumbles. There wasn't any of that stuff. It was, you know, they still got a lot of sacks, but it always came from Grantham having to try to generate it. So that's what I'm looking for this year is they need one guy or maybe two guys to show that they can win one-on-one battles individually. Some of that comes from Savage. Some of that comes from next year of experience. And some of that comes from the discipline to hold each other accountable and and really have an offseason where you get to a point where you're operating as a unit. Yeah, Nick, that's probably the biggest thing Will just brought up. The havoc that was not there that did not end up creating turnovers. And that, I mean, for, for you know, well, two things, you know, you had your DBs playing 10 yards off when, <laughs> when they didn't need to. And then with that, you, you know, <laughs> with, with, with the pressure not being there, that's what you were getting. You had quarterbacks just being able to pick apart a defense because there was no havoc, no pressure. And hopefully, you know, all these pieces on the front now that kind of fixes that, that that's, you know, when we're talking about up front, that's the first issue that needs to be fixed. There needs to be that havoc that we were used to seeing uh, in the first couple of years. And, you know, we, we could have maybe clued into this at the end of 2019 too, because game one against Miami, right? 10 sacks. John Grenard, absolute beast, right? And and then once once that LSU game hit and we're missing Zuniga and Grenard, what happened to the pressure after that? It, it wasn't coming from it, like we we didn't have that next guy step in. Uh, you you kind of you hope Cox. You t- we talked about Cox already. You hope he would develop into that this year. Didn't quite happen, but I, it's like Will said. I I think this was a defense this year that just wasn't entirely complete across the board, and I I think the playing out of positions thing was a big deal. I think it was a big deal, and we we don't know how many injuries these guys are dealing with too. I definitely think that some of that had an effect on the season. So I I think that we've seen it before. That that's the thing that was. I was almost defensive of the defense through like the early points of the, the middle point of the season because. We, I, I figure it was a rough start. They're coming out of training camp. I, I saw them kind of getting it together in that middle stretch. I know that middle stretch is hard to remember. You know, that Missouri, Georgia, like that stuff's kind of hard to remember with the way we finished the season. But they played – there was some decent play in the middle there. But the consistency throughout the year, it just wasn't there overall. And that's what you, you like to see that come together. Uh, and and I, I'm with you guys. I, it, we When the defense has worked with Grantham in the past, it started up front. All right, we'll get into the linebackers in the secondary and all the changes going on there. But before we get there, 
Tampa Bay versus Kansas City. A champion is going to be crowned. It's time for the Super Bowl, and it's time to win big. You've heard the name just about everywhere. My bookie. They're the industry's leading online sports book and casino, and it's not hard to understand why, with thousands of lines to bet on all your favorite sports. NFL, NBA, college ball, MMA, soccer, they got it all. The latest odds, period. Take advantage of my bookie's prop builder and live in-game betting where every single run, throw, and touchdown is another chance for you to put cash in your pocket. Visit MyBookie's mobile-friendly website today and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Just use promo code GATERS when you make your first deposit. The best part is they make it simple with a variety of ways to deposit instantly, including credit card, bank transfer, Bitcoin, and more. Whether you're at home or on the go, or on your laptop or on your phone, it's not too late to make your New Year's resolution a resolution to get paid. Bet, win, and get paid at MyBookie using promo code GATERS. All right, let's move to the second level of the defense and linebacker. And this was the uh, – man, this position here, it, it, it was weird starting 2020. Uh, the season, Ventrell Miller, James Houston were the two names you were really kind of counting on there. But it ended up being Ventrell Miller there in the middle – and then Amari Bernie, Mamou Diabate, as the season went on, Amari Bernie started the season. Um, you saw the troubles that were there. Diabate started getting more playing time. And I thought you know, toward the end of the season, kind of solidified himself in that you know second linebacker role uh, there beside Ventro Miller. You know, Miller will be back uh, for 2021. I still think you'll see a lot of Mamou Diabate there. But I know we want to see more Tyron Hopper and, and Derek Wingo. Those are the two names there. If, you, if you're looking at the future of the linebacker position, along with the Abate, it, it, it's those two names. We'll kind of have to see, you know, where just kind of how you split up the time uh, between those. You really hope Hopper or Wingo are guys that are forcing their way in to, to, to get more playing time. And to me also, you know, kind of lets you share the Abate and some other the, the other positions. Yeah, I think he's a pretty – we mentioned the edge rushers uh, just a bit ago. I still think the Abate has a role there uh, as well, dating back to his freshman year a couple years ago. But, you know, one name – uh, I really think we have to watch out for it. And another name, just because, you know, I, I, I know because they were recruited, you kind of kind of maybe see those guys in the secondary a bit too. But watch out for him to play a little bit of linebacker, especially in kind of speed packages there. The one black, Donovan McMillan, but especially black, and that we've kind of just been waiting on you know, his time to show up as a Gator. He should be enrolling in May, uh, be on campus in May there. I think he's a guy out there I watch out for just the, the freak athleticism that you can put on the field uh, of one-to-one black. You know, I'm not sure we'll, how much we'd see him at linebacker. I think he, he had the chance to crack the rotation there. But for the guys we know uh, that will be there, Miller, Diabate, Hopper, Wingo, you know, that, that there's four guys there that need to that that, that need to be on the field. If you look, I think in Florida's best position, the more Wingo and Hopper are out there, probably the better looking this defense will look on that second level. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was interesting. I know everybody wanted to see Hopper and wanted to see Wingo last year. I'm not sure that they would have been able to hold up with the defensive line, allowing the linebackers getting to get mauled by the offensive linemen. And I think that was a big concern for Grantham is putting out guys who are, yeah, they might shoot gaps, but when they shoot a gap, if there's a pulling guard sitting right there, they're not big enough to be able to take him on and actually um, and actually make the play. Now, 
you know, discipline in the gaps, I'm sure, was also an issue. And then knowing what to do in pass coverage, we saw that that was really, I think, where the linebackers, particularly Diabate and Bernie, struggled, especially early on in the year. But even in the SEC championship game, you know, Najee Harris is a really good player. And so I don't want to take a whole lot away from him at the same time. If you're going to cover the running back with a linebacker, the linebacker has to be able to run with him, and, and Diabate and, and Miller really couldn't do that. You know, the defense really missed David Reese. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and it seems simplistic to say that, but it turns out that a middle linebacker who puts up 100 tackles every year and is the quarterback <laughs> of your defense for four straight years is a really big loss. And we sort of overlooked it, I think, coming into the year because he is not the most physically gifted player, right? He, I, I think he may have gotten on an NFL practice squad, but then didn't actually make a team. And, you know, he was not a guy who just popped off the page in terms of his athletic ability. But four years, the leadership that he showed, especially with the whole, you know, death threat McIlwain stuff going on in 2017, the fact that his teammates loved him, and he was productive, right? I mean, there were times where he got taken advantage of with, uh, you know, running backs in coverage, but there were also times where he was always in the right spot and could really help in the running game. And, and taking him out of there, I don't think it's a coincidence that the running game went from a top 15 running game to something that was, you know, in the 80s or 90s in well, terms of yard play. Yeah. And before you go on, maybe the Kentucky game in 2018 was something we should have went and looked back at <laughs> to, to kind of maybe forecast what, you know, top of season, you know, 2020 was going to bring without David Reese there. I mean, I, I hate to play revisionist history that way and say, oh, yeah, that would have been easy to go back and look at. But, man, a lot of what we saw in that game was what we saw game after game in 2020. Well, I say a lot of stupid stuff, so I don't want people going back and listening too much <laughs> to the podcast. But I do remember you and I talking about that yeah. and saying, you know, that's our concern is that losing a guy like Reese is, you know, we saw what happened. He made a bunch of big fourth down stops in that Kentucky game and that allowed Kyle Trask to make that comeback. And, you know, the, well, the reality – The year before, he didn't play in the Kentucky game and Florida's defense was lost without him. Yeah, and, you know, that's – that's to be expected, right? When you lose a middle linebacker who's been out there for so long. But that's also a black mark on the coaching staff because you have to have guys who are ready to jump in. And it felt like Miller took maybe half the year to sort of get his sea legs as as a middle linebacker. I do think he played a lot better mm-hmm. as, as the season went on. The problem is still, again, when the offensive guard is mauling you in the running game, there's nothing you can do as a linebacker. Like the whole – the job of the defensive front is to keep the offensive line off of you, especially in a 3-4 defense. I realized Grantham runs a one gap that's really kind of more like a four three or or it's it's more of a hybrid than it is a true three four where it's like a two where it's a two gap with the defensive tackle um you know, but still the defensive tackles have to occupy the offensive line to allow the linebackers to make plays when the defensive line was able to do that i think ventral miller was able to make plays at least inside the box the thing that's exciting about diabate is that when the ball when the ball got thrown when the ball got either thrown or run to the edge he was the guy who was able to get out there and make the play granted he's playing outside linebacker but still to be able to go side to side is something we haven't seen at florida in a while that's where i think wingo and hopper really bring value is they they are guys who have the speed to be able to get to the outside, stop guys from getting the corner, all the little throws to the running back that have just tormented Florida now for like a decade. I mean, you know, the game against Tennessee this year, the little swing passes that Bailey was hitting to his running back were really the only kind of offense that the Vols had, but there were multiple times where it was either a blown coverage or the linebacker just couldn't get out there in time. And so hopefully those things start to go away as we get more gifted guys in there, but it still comes, I mean, it's funny. We can talk about the linebackers all we want, but part of the problem is is the linebackers are going still going to be a relatively small group i don't think that wingo and hopper and dewan black are all going to be these giant linebackers they're going to be relying on speed 
And so if you're going to have guys out there who are relying on speed, you have to keep the offensive linemen off of them. You can't let them get to the second level. And then you want to let them roam free. So it's 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 a symbiotic thing, right? I mean, you have to have the defensive tackles to do that. I think some of these transfers they brought in give them that opportunity. And so I'm excited to see, again, another year in Savage's strength program, but I'm excited to see what these guys can do with their speed when they're not <laughs> when they're not getting occupied by offensive linemen. Well, that goes back to a couple of weeks ago. Nick, you can chime in here with this. When we were going back and looking at our over-unders that we so badly missed on the defensive side this past year, it was I, I pointed to the defense saying, you know, look, I like the makeup of this defense going into 2020 because of how fast they would be and, and, and the speed that they recruited at, you know, especially the linebacker position. But that turned out to be a deterrent. Uh, for for this defense because they didn't get the normal offseason uh, strength training. And I really think, you know, going to Will's point, the defensive tackles just get mauled over and over again. Yeah, Nick, maybe I, you know, may, maybe I put too much on the speed going into 2020, but maybe it can be somewhat of a strength if, you know, they, they, they these guys come around to, to fix the physicality part of it as well. Yeah, I mean, again, up front, if up front gets fixed, the linebackers are going to have much easier time, too. It's that simple. I hate to sound really simple about that, too. But Wingo is a guy that you just want to see really develop. And I, the common theme we're seeing at each – I think we're going to see at each level of the defense is really there's going to be a strong reliance on the youth movement this year. And I'm talking freshman, sophomore, redshirt, freshman. You're going to see a lot of hope in Gator Nation – for these guys to really step in and you know become the type of players like like a Kyrie Elam, where he's a steady guy week in and week out that you can count on. So I, I think Hopper from the tape, you go back, you watch a lot of the high school tape. Hopper, super explosive athlete. I mean, you can't get much better than that at the linebacker position. Wingo seems like he's going to bring an element of physicality to the linebacker spot. Uh, I. I love the tape on Jeremiah Williams, too, out of Birmingham, Alabama. I know Auburn was after him for a while. He's coming in this year. He, he looks like he could be a guy. Maybe he's not going to contribute right away, but the next few years, the future's bright at all these spots. So whether or not we totally work out the situation in 2021, I think the future's bright with some of these guys they're bringing in. And then I, I, I call him a three-star three player with a five-star name, Chief Borders. That guy can hit. Yeah. I watch he can hit. He was a ta- he was a tapping machine this year in, yeah. in, in his senior year. But yeah, you're right, and you know, he's kind of a guy. He's kind of a he's kind of a David Reese guy to me. I don't know like how he would be in coverage and covering running backside the backfield. But as far as a guy that's going to stick his head in there and and, and get get in there <laughs> with with an opposing run game, you you mentioned uh, the five star name Chief Porter. It, it, it fits a tough linebacker name. Yeah, six four two thirty coming in too. I know we'll talk about some of the size. I mean, that's as a as a freshman coming in out of high school. Six four two forty, Jeremiah Williams six four two twenty five. So hopefully they see maybe maybe they're recruiting these bigger guys too because they see that maybe we went a little too small at some of these guys and maybe they're correcting that too. There might be some course correction on that, but I I'm with you. It's a, if if you can't play up front, the speed doesn't matter that much. It's it, it's gonna get it's gonna get nullified a little bit. Yep, yep, that was something I, I just I, I did not see in 2020, and hopefully we don't see again <laughs> in 2021. Uh, here we go. Now on to the secondary and all the change that's going on there. You know, first the, the new coaches. Uh, I think we 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 start, we'll start there first. Out are Torian Gray and Ron English. In come Wesley McGriff from Auburn and Jules 
Montanar from USF. You know, it was announced today that uh, Montanar will be the cornerback coach and recruiting coordinator while McGriff will coach uh, the safeties there. So had an entire show with McGriff that you guys can go back and listen to from a couple weeks ago that'll give you all you need to know there. Uh, but I'm not going to lie, guys. You know, I don't know a whole lot about Jules, Jules Montanar until you know his name come up uh, late last week. I do know Mullen wanted a, a young, energetic hire here, not a not a rehired, retread uh, guy out there. You know, I, I doubt Montanor was a top choice, but uh, I don't know uh, enough to you know, to say good or, good or bad here. You know, of course, a bigger name would have been nice. Uh, I do like the short history uh, that that he brings to the table. He's been around some recruiting behemoths. Uh, was a grad assistant at Alabama and Georgia, so the connection to Saban and, and Kirby Smart. Uh, and then was hired by Jeff Scott at USF. You know, Scott was assembling his first staff at USF last year after he left Clemson uh, to become the head coach at South Florida. He hired Montanar away from Georgia, and Montanar was made the cornerback coach and recruiting coordinator for the Bulls uh, last year. So, you know, there's some things to like there. McGriff, much like most of Mullen's staff, known more as a as a coach and a developer more so than a recruiter. So hopefully, you know, uh, Montanar, Montanar can, can be a great recruiter uh, in the secondary. You know, guys, we'll get to players in just a second. I think we all thought Florida needed a change of defensive coordinator, but that wasn't the move Dan Mullen made here. Instead, moves were made in the secondary with McGriff and Montanar. Yeah, well, this is going to be where he makes or breaks his his time here at Florida. I mean, I think everybody's pretty confident that Mullen's going to be able to get the most out of his offense. The question is going to be what happens on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think a lot of us are real um, confident in Grantham's ability. I think we're all I think we're all pretty confident that it's going to be better than last year. Question is, is it going to be good enough for Florida to compete for championships? And I think we've got some doubts there, but at the same time, I think you support your team and you support your defensive coordinator, you support your coach, and say, okay, well, let's see what happens with these guys that they that they've made the changes to. Obviously, Montanar, um, you know, is coming from USF, somebody who's who's dealt with recruiting in Florida and Georgia at a lower level, obviously. So you're not expecting him to have some sort of resume that's got five stars all over it. At the same time, the question that you need to ask, and I really haven't had a chance to go back and look at it that extensively, but the question you want to ask is, is he bringing in better recruits than the guy before him? Right. So did USF's recruiting pick up when they brought him in as a recruiting coordinator? That's the thing to look at, I think, when we go back and look at him. And then McGriff, you mentioned more of an on-field guy, except for when you start looking back at his history. You know, Robert Kimdiche at Old Miss, he was the primary recruiter for him, the number one overall recruit for Old Miss. Tony Connor, another five-star at Old Miss in 2013, the number 33 overall recruit. Brandon Harris, number 25 overall recruit for Miami in 2008. Um, and then he did bring in Evan Ingram. So he was the 920th overall recruit for Ole Miss. But guy turns out to be an outstanding tight end, goes to the NFL, and now he's on everybody's fantasy team because he's a really, really good player. So it is interesting. One thing that's really interesting is when you look through his recruiting profile, the five-star guys and really even the high four-star guys didn't really amount to much in terms of either college production or making it to the pros. But he's got some sort of jewels in the rough down there in the in the low three-star range who do seem to have been converted. So um, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I, I think, you know, Mullen had the unfortunate timing of needing to find secondary coaches at the exact same time that Urban Meyer did as well. And unfortunately, they all have the same connections, right? So we all know these aren't the top two selections because the top two selections are in Jacksonville <laughs> coaching for the Jaguars because of all, you know, and I don't think anybody's going to admit that, but I think that's pretty much what most people suspect is that, you know, guys like Chris Ash and Charlie Strong and stuff like that are people they probably would have looked at first. But 
Urban Meyer wanted them. It was an NFL opportunity. They decided to go there. I think these guys are going to do an okay job, um, but I don't think they're the first choice. And I mean, I think they are good coaches. I think time will tell whether they're really difference makers. I don't know that there's a whole lot in their background that suggests they're going to be huge difference makers. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be, can you get guys stronger? And are the guys that Florida's recruited going to be able to step in and play at a much higher level than they did last year? Will, to, uh, or Nick, to, to build off Will's point there, are they better than Torian Gray and Ron English? I mean, that's yeah. really that's really the, the point here right now, right yeah, now no. at this point. Problem solved. Problem solved, guys. Ron English, I know everybody was screaming at Ron English when coverages were blown last year. I'm sure everyone was screaming Torian Gray's name when coverages were blown last year. This just seems well, like – After they screamed Todd Grantham's name. Yeah, no, that's my point. <laughs> you're not you're, nobody's yelling. These guys are absolutely like the minimum, the absolute minimal changes you could have made this year. Like after the way it was on defense, and I, I had a whole thing right out here about like it, basically Nick Saban. Even Nick Saban admitted this year finally, which I mean he's admitted by changing his style on the field. But Nick Saban's out there this year saying good offense beats good defense, and and that's just the style of football these days. So we're not. I know like we're a school that we want to win every game 50 to nothing. And if it's not, we're going to dissect it and let's have a big talk about it. And that's what's great about Florida too, by the way. But college football these days, if you're keeping teams in the low to mid-20s, you just have to be good. You don't even have to be – we're not looking for 85 Bears, the 85 Bears anymore. So I, everyone's playing – a lot of these schools are playing these up-tempo offenses. It's tough to hold them down for an entire game. I mean, even look at a school like Ole Miss. How, how good were they on the offensive side of the ball this year? When are we used to seeing Ole Miss dominate – on, on, on anything pretty much over the course of the last 25 years. So they had a couple of year run, but it's, it's all about the offense now. So when you look at it, we're never, it's the game is different. You're never going to have that, that great killer defense, nine to six Alabama LSU. Those days are done. But the thing about, you got to look at this year is we had a national championship level offense and this defense just had to be like, like, just fairly okay. Just just good. Just good. It didn't have to be excellent. It just had to be good to give this team a shot. And it, it couldn't even live up to that. And, and that's 2018, 2019 defense, it would have been good enough. Yeah, and, and that's where, I mean, you look at the A&M game, you look at the LSU game or the two games, I, and I, I really think a lot of the fan base, I don't think we're mentally over the LSU loss. And I, especially defensively, I, I watched – Johnson play against Texas A&M at quarterback for LSU a few weeks earlier, and he couldn't. They couldn't do anything on offense. So the fact they came into the swamp and did that—I mean, you could talk about a hundred different things, unfocused effort, like you know, poor effort here and there. Like you talk about a bunch of different things. I think that game alone should signify that a change needed to be made overall, and and maybe that could have been the approach from the top. But I don't really care. Dan Mullen doesn't count the cock bowl, so I won't either. But. Uh, it, it, the defense, the defense really cost this team a national title this year, or really a serious shot at one, because the offense went toe to toe. Kyle Trask was Kyle Trask scared of those helmets against Alabama? No, they were scoring points. They put up forty six. He wasn't afraid to put it in the end zone. And so I, I really look at it, and, and you got if you're honest with yourself, you're Dan Mullen. The defense cost you, so they need to you need to make a change there. And and, and Will has written a lot of great pieces. Will's piece on Grantham, I'm going to read your reaction. If you haven't read it, make sure you check that out. But on, on why they should let go of Grantham is perfect. I mean, it, it really – he talks about it's not – he's not the difference maker in terms of recruiting. It, he's, he's marginal in a lot of areas, and I think we could do better. 
as a program. And the offensive side of the ball is at that level. The defense is not. And I, and I know it's a lot of young players. And maybe Grantham got a bad hand because we saw him get 10 sacks against Miami, right? We know the guy can coach. I'm not saying he's a terrible coach, but it cost the team a national title this year. And I think that's that, – it doesn't seem like a serious approach if you're just replacing two assistants where 95% of the fan base might not have known Ron English's name until he was fired. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, here we go. Well, uh, you know, those are the two new hires and the guys they'll be coaching back here all on the secondary. Look, we'll start at cornerback. Of course, Elam walks down one side, no question there. But I'm really interested in seeing how quickly top ready recruit Jason Marshall throws his name into the mix at the other cornerback spot. Jadon Hill gets first chance there, I think. But Marshall comes in as this heralded recruit, and then there's a chance he adds to the long line of freshmen that have just come in and made a name for themselves at the cornerback position. Stuff so and get Kamar Will Coxon as well. You knew, uh, knew he's you know he he new to the watch here. I think this is another highly rated recruit. This was supposed to be his first season, but he came in last year uh, early. Uh, so his experience, I think, that he garnered last year will be key here. You have names like Jahiri Rogers, Avery Helm, Ethan Pouncey, Jordan Young as well. So much youth there behind, you know, along, as you kind of pointed to, Nick, along this whole defense. But a lot of youth here in the secondary, well, secondary as well. Elam is the only veteran of the group. So you're trying to figure out ways to improve on defense and especially on the back end. It'll be starting with some young quarterbacks besides the Elam. So, you know, these new coaches have the work cut out for them, Will. Young guys, but also you've got to fix the tackling issues, the communication issues, getting lined up and knowing where you're supposed to be before the snap and after the snap, communication before the snap and after the snap. I mean, it's not just throwing guys out there and just be better players. There's a, there, there's a lot of internal, a lot of – uh, mental things to fix with this defense as well. So, you know, these these new coaches got their work cut out for them. I was going to say, it's a good thing we got new defensive back coaches to teach them all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, you know, so Florida took a calculated risk this year, and the risk that they took was that they were going to be able to get enough decent play out of the guys that they threw out there who were experienced that they were going to be able to be able to compete with the Alabamas and the A&Ms and, unfortunately, the LSUs of the world. And it turned out they were – they weren't good enough to make that happen, right? And, that, and that's that's what everybody knows about the 2020 season is that Florida had a national championship offense and didn't have a defense that could step up the same way. The problem is, is when you go back and you – so all those guys come from the 2017 recruiting class. The problem is when you then look at the 2018 recruiting class, there aren't any corners there. There's Bernie who got moved to linebacker, and there's Dean who's a safety and moved back to safety and likely is going to play quite a bit at safety. I think probably this year – um, you know, he announced he's coming back. So the fact that they've got a guy back there who has some experience and really did seem to improve towards the end of the year, I think is a benefit. But I'm still not ready to hang my hat on Trey Dean as a lockdown safety. He just hasn't shown it yet. Elam obviously steps in in 2019. You got Chester Kembra who leaves. And so Jadon Hill's the only other defensive back from that class that we really might expect something from this year, which means. Florida's really relying on young guys, right? Jahari Rogers, Ethan Pouncey, Kamar Wilcoxon, Rashad Torrance, Avery Helm, Mordecai McDaniel, Finley Graham. You know, those are guys that they signed in 2020. It's great that they signed all those defensive backs, but we saw what happened when a lot of those guys played against Oklahoma. And granted, the uh, the motivation wasn't necessarily where it needed to be for that Oklahoma game. But still, you'd figure that pride would have you out there playing hard. And, and the reality is, is that I didn't see anything. There was nobody who flashed at me um, at, at the cornerback spot there. So, yeah, I think 
one thing about one thing about Grantham and one thing about Mullen is that they have not often drawn on their recruiting class of that current year to to perform early. And so well, you're well, looking, I mean, we, we've known this staff to be known for more their development over time than throwing freshmen out there. Yeah. So you're looking at one, maybe two guys from the 2021 class who are going to contribute. And this is actually where I think who they signed, not necessarily the stars matter. Now it matters that these guys are high level guys, but Jason Marshall is a five-star cornerback. Corey Collier is almost a five-star safety. And then Donovan McMillan is a top 100 safety. And you start factoring those guys in. If they get two or three of those guys who can step up in the defensive backfield, then this defense has a shot to really take a step forward. If instead they're relying on the guys from 2020, I think they'll be okay. I don't think they can get much worse. But, but I think they'll be okay. I just don't necessarily – again, limited time. We haven't seen all these guys, but you would figure that if one of them was really flashing at all in practice that they would have gotten an opportunity. And the only guys we really saw was we saw Rashard Torrance um, play significant and we saw Trevez Johnson play significant playing time. Neither one of them really starting, but those guys did play significant snaps. Um, so I think with Dean and Torrance and Johnson, probably be okay at safety, but – Marshall needs to step in and be a starting quarterback day one if this defense is going to be what we th- what we hope it can be. Um, but again, I think 2021 is kind of a transition year with Emory Jones taking over at quarterback. You're probably not going to have a national championship level offense. And so this probably is a year where you can experience some growing pains there on the back end, making sure that everybody gets playing time so you know what you have. So that in 2022, when when Jones is back and the offense is really starting to hum, you've got a defense that can step up. Because really, you know, Bill Sykes wrote something uh, a couple of weeks ago for my site that looked at sort of the idea of clustering and having recruiting classes that all sort of mature at the same time. And that's what's necessary for SEC championships when you're not Alabama. And what we saw last year is a perfect example of that is that Florida had a sort of a confluence of clustering that occurred on the offensive side of the ball where you've got mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts and Canarius Tony and Kyle Trask and, and all those guys who sort of all came together to form that kind of offense. And the defense just didn't have that same phenomenon. And so what you don't want is you don't want the defense to peak next year. If you don't think the offense is going to be as good, what you kind of want to do is make sure you know who you've got so that two years from now, you can have sort of those clusters hit at the same time. Nick will move the safety a bit too, but would it be a good sign to you if Marshall comes in early and is the starting cornerback opposite of Elam? Or, you know, would you expect somebody like Hill to kind of still be out there and, and Marshall having to work his way in through throughout the entire season instead of maybe just starting the season there? I mean, I, ideally, you'd like to see both, right? You want you yeah. don't want it to be that Hill is so bad that Marshall has to step in. Yeah. So you'd like to see Hill develop, but – Quarterback might be the one position on the defensive side where, hey, if we have to throw a freshman out there, I feel okay about that one if he's got the talent. Um, we didn't get great quarterback play from uh, – I'm not, I'm not going to beat the guy up. He's been beat up enough. But we didn't get great quarterback play opposite of Elon last year. And uh, I'd like to see I – think, I think we can improve on that. But Hill certainly can take a step forward. But I think by the end of the season – Marshall's going to be that guy. I mean, it's, he's just very good coming at, coming out of uh, Palmetto there. But the other guy too. I know we haven't. You don't want to jump to the safety maybe just yet. But Collier too looks very very intriguing coming into the secondary. And I, I think it was an issue. There was a lot of communication across both 
points of the secondary last year. And I don't know if the coverages were too complicated or what was going on, but the one thing you really need to see is that quarterback of the secondary step up next year. Really, let's hope we're making calls and lining up on time and everything next year. That's a really – that's the big improvement I want to see in 2021. Yeah, I mean, the, the communication thing, you know, I, I just don't get it because we, we didn't see it in 2018 and 2019. So why did it all of a sudden manifest in 2020 when a lot of it was the same guys back there? That's, I think that's a mystery. I just don't know because we, we can sit here and say that the defense is complicated, but those are guys that had been in the defense. Right. So if it was, was going to be complicated, you may see it this year with you know, Trey Dean not getting a whole lot of time at safety, Rashad Torrance, you know, not playing a whole lot and then throw in somebody like a Jason Marshall, Corey Carter. I would expect the communication issues to be more of an issue this year with all the new faces, more so than last year with Steiner and and, and Stewart and Davis all back there with Elam and, and Marco, guys who know or should know the defense, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, can't communicate and, and, and know their assignment. So, yeah, I, I, I do think the defense is complicated, but it shouldn't have been complicated for the guys that were out there. Right? Well, and- so. Well, and that's yeah. the that's the issue with Grantham, right? That's why everybody is is worried about Grantham coming back, is that the communication issues and the disciplinary issues that cropped up. Like, so Nick, you mentioned earlier that nobody's over the LSU game. It's because I've never seen someone lose a game chucking a shoe, but chucking the shoe is indicative of a lack of discipline that the defense showed all year long. And you're sitting there staring at juniors and seniors going. Why are we having so much trouble lining up? Why are we lining up 10 yards off the line of scrimmage? Why are we throwing shoes? And, you know, the shoes are ridiculous, but they're indicative of the overall problem that people can see with the defense, which is you're not getting physically beat. You're getting mentally beat. And getting mentally beat really at this level is unacceptable. Nine, 10, 11 games into the year, it throw a true freshman in there who's really gifted and going to get mentally beat too. Like, what's the difference? I know somebody after the A&M game, I think they, they either texted us or tweeted at us, Dave, about like out of the total possible yards A&M could have gotten in that game, I think they wound up with like six less yards than they could have gotten. So every time they got the ball – or no, 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 it was, like, it was like 60, but one of them was on the fumble. That Stewart knocked the ball out on the fumble. Other than that, they always drove down the field every time they got the ball. So if they're going to do that anyway – what what's the harm in putting a freshman out there who's going to blow a coverage, right? And I, I get that logic, especially now that you know how 2020 ended, to say, wow, it would have been really nice if we knew what we had with some of these young guys and we'd actually played them. I get that in the heat of it, you're sitting there saying, hey, we're 7-1, and 8-1, and one. right before that LSU game, you're saying, we still got a shot to win the title. We got to fix some stuff with the guys we've got out there. So I get why they did it, but the fact that they did it means there's going to be some growing pains in 2021. And you just hope that perhaps the um, the new guys that they're bringing in can help instill a discipline that just wasn't there in 2020. Because um, I, I can't go through another fog bowl where we lose on something ridiculous, disciplinary related. I might go crazy. Let, let's start blaming Evan McPherson for that loss. How about that? <laughs> that's, another, that's another shoe we could blame it on. But uh, no, I mean the, the thing is, think about the defense from game one to the final outing of the season. What difference did you see? What adjustments did we see made? And I know that I'm not saying anything new, but the lack of adjustments was, was just infuriating to watch. And, I mean, even though we'll walk away – we all walked away from that Alabama game going, hey, great effort, guys. Like, I, I, you know, I was proud of, proud of my school watching them play against Alabama. But did you just feel incredibly helpless in the first half watching that defense just get shredded? I mean, it, it, it's something where you look at it and you go, what – 
what if we're going to if this is going to happen invest in the youth and this and i think that's the message that you have to learn going in this year because man some of these young guys they look super talented coming in and that's not a knock on the guys who are there they're plenty talented too but if we're gonna if we're gonna struggle with simple things freshmen are supposed to struggle with communications that's why you play your seniors right if we're gonna do that anyway give the young guys talent that uh, the time that they can develop that and then like will said you know we're peaking at, at the right time 22 23. Yeah, at safety, I'm excited for you know Corey Collier to come in, but with Dean and, and Torrance there, I mean, I think that trio there should be good enough. Uh, I think you know, I think we'll we'll have to certainly everything here is just we have to see because of just just how bad 2020 was. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. Hey, this was something we're excited to see, but you know, trading for all the. The hassle he went through in 2018 and 2019, I think, to, to finally show some sort of consistency at safety when he was out there. I know he battled some injuries uh, throughout the year as well. He had a big play versus Alabama, of course, before he you know, blindsided uh, there and, and, and fumbles the ball. Uh, but you know, probably the biggest play for the defense in that game, if, if, if it would have held up, uh, coming from trading there. And who knows how the game would have turned out if, the, if it just would have been a, a normal tackle and Florida has the ball there. Uh, so you know, you had a knack for making plays in the big game there for, for, from trading. Look, look, switch to Nichols. Well, I think, you know, Will brought up Travis Johnson's name there. I think we'll probably see him get first crack at the nickel star position. So some ability, especially in the red zone uh, earlier in the 2020 season, and uh, wasn't much of a factor as the season progressed. But uh, I think they liked him in that in, in that red zone role. Uh, Dakota Mitchell's a signee to watch there as well. But once again, it, we said it, it doesn't matter who's back there. If communication, pre-snap, post-snap isn't there. Hopefully a more physical camp gets these guys ready to tackle, something that plagued them all season as well. In the secondary, is arm tackle after arm tackle or just trying to go up and pop somebody without wrapping up. We saw it all season long. Uh, it's just, you know, one more example of the lack of physicality and strength and conditioning that hurt the Gators last year. Far from DBU for the Gators and, and a ton of questions on the back end. Uh, but, you know, go back to last season, and, and it's not like all the experience was returning, as you guys said. You know, it, it, it wasn't like all that experience that was returning paid off. So hopefully new coaches, new voices, new faces back there in the secondary speaks to some kind of improvement back there. I mean, I think we certainly hope so. The problem is, is that when you look back at the stats, right? So you worked for Arkansas a bit last year, so come on. (laughs) So Florida hasn't been good against the pass in any of Grantham's three years. So they ranked 40th in yards per pass allowed in 2018, and that was with Chauncey Gardner Johnson and C.J. Henderson, two guys who are who are high level NFL players in the backfield in 2019, they ranked 35th. So a little bit better uh, with CJ Henderson and then Kyrie Elam on the other side. So really, you know, two corners who are going to play in the league. And they actually had a good Marco in the star in 2019. He didn't play the star position bad in 2019. Yeah, well, and this year you, you look at Elam is really the only guy in the secondary who was decent and they dropped down to 88th. So if Marshall comes in and plays really, really well on the outside, along with Elam, you're looking at a defense. that's probably somewhere 40th to 45th overall in yards per pass, which means they're going to have to improve considerably against yards per rush to get off the field. Now they're going to get off the field more than they did last year. The defense is going to improve compared to what it did last year. And I hope what people don't do is that they don't look at it and go, Oh, well it's better than last year. So grant them showing progress. Like, you know, that's, that's not what I think progress is i think progress is a defense that makes 
um, makes advances beyond where he has been. So really, if you think about yards per pass allowed, they need to be better than 40th. If you think about yards per rush, they probably need to be top 20. And that's going to create a defense that's like maybe 20th or 30th in points per game allowed, which is a significant improvement over the defense that they had last year. The problem is, is that after this year, Kyrie Elam's going to be gone. So then you're going to have to replace that corner again. So it goes back to, in my mind, 2021 is a year where Grantham has to get a lot of guys out there, understand what he has, and get a lot of experience, even if it means they sacrifice a game or two. Because at the end of the day, when Elam goes pro, you're going to need somebody to replace him, and you can't be sitting there going, well, can we replace him with this guy? You know. The reality is, is that you're just not going to be able to do that. And we saw that this year, right, is that that Henderson leaves. They thought Marco Wilson was going to be able to step into that role. He couldn't, and then the defense just really, really struggled. And it's not all Marco's fault. I mean, obviously, there, there were holes in other places too. But, I mean, if you think about the guys playing so far off the line of scrimmage, the reason they were playing that far off is that when they manned up and went up close, they got beat. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I just sort of look at it and say progress is – Progress needs to be measured more than just, oh, we're better than 2020. Progress really needs to be, are we as good as 2019? And if you can't get back to that level with your own recruits, then um, the fan base isn't going to be happy with anything less than that. Nick, last thought here. I've said the only way they could justify, and this is behind the scenes. I have no idea. The only way the justification of keeping Todd Grantham is something has to change. There has to be a heart-to-heart. There has to be a heart-to-heart between Dan Mullen Todd Grantham, that, hey, 2020 was unacceptable. You still have a job here. Something has to change. And we, we're not going to know how that conversation went, if that conversation even happened. We, we, we won't even know. You know, Todd Grantham cannot trot out there and put the same defense, same style of defense, same style of calls. That can't happen again in 2020 or 2021. Something has to change. We don't know what that change is going to be. But you know, so, some, somewhere along the way, the only way, the only justification of keeping your job is you have to change. I, I'm willing to consider that uh, on a super optimistic level. Uh, but I think Todd Grantham is who Todd Grantham is. And I do I, too. That's the scary I, part. I think we've seen it at this point. I mean, even when he was hired. What was the general feeling when he was hired? What did people talk about? His time at Georgia, right? Are we kind of seeing some similarities on some level there with the, you know, the blitz, the blitzing's a little out of control at times. It's not always when it works. The thing with Grantham, though, that's kind of interesting is when it works, it seems to work really well. Ten sacks against Miami, I brought that game up, but when it doesn't, it really doesn't. And does it work in big moments? I mean, we saw the 2019 Georgia loss, right? We blew the total blown coverage. On Cager, we were in that game. Total blown coverage. We saw blown coverages kill us last year. The one thing we might be underestimating about maybe some of the lack of adjustments or lack of youth we saw last year too is it was an entirely SEC schedule. Who do we open up with this year? We got FAU out the gate. We got USF after that. And the thing about that, the thing I'm actually really – I look, USF was terrible objectively this year, but Jeff Scott had them playing in some interesting games late. They nearly knocked off Memphis. They put up 46 on UCF. Jeff Scott, former Clemson OC, co-OC with Tony Elliott, who's being mentioned for the Tennessee job right now. He's, I, I think he's got that program. I, I like that hire down here. I'm in the Tampa area, so I follow them a little bit down here. And, and Flores come down here week two. That could be a nice little test for the secondary in week two, though. I, I you know, Hopefully Florida takes care of business in the game. I'm not like sounding any alarms on it. But in terms of getting a lot of young guys some playing time, 
maybe even some of those guys are going to redshirt. Hopefully that's one of those games to get on the field. I think there's going to be more opportunities to get onto the field this year too. And it's not just going to be that entirely all conference schedule where two of our first three games out of the gate are old miss who Lane Kiffin's like dialing it up all year. He threw up almost 50 on Bama too. I, it wasn't like he just did that to the Gators. And then you got Texas A&M in, in week three, who runs all over us. So, I mean, we had some unique challenges too that Grantham faced this year too, that we should also know that it's not going to be quite the same this year. But on the other hand, we are playing Alabama and we are playing LSU and we are playing Georgia and Florida State comes back on if they if they decide to get their act together, which they probably won't play. And Vandy's true freshman quarterback who threw for 300 yards on you. You got to face him yeah. again too. Fire it up, <laughs> yeah, good opportunity. Hey, and LSU's true freshman quarterback who threw for 200 yards against Sid. It's like, look, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the optimism, Nick. I really do. And and I think the offense is, or the defense is going to get better this year. Um, but the – January, we could be delusional, right? The, the, the lack of ability to stop advanced quarterbacks has always been an issue. In 2018 yeah. and 2019, playing against guys who are above average, who um, – you know, had experience. That was sort of the bugaboo for Grantham. I think the only real sort of outlier there was Terry Wilson at Kentucky. And before the knee injury, he looked like he was going to be a really good player. You go to this year, and there's guys who, quite honestly, just weren't very good in SEC play this year. And Florida made them look really good. And, you know, at the end of the day, like the sort of thing that always held me out with Grantham is – yeah, you know, we may struggle against elite teams, but a lot of people struggle against elite teams. And you don't necessarily have to worry about that true freshman who's coming in is going to light you up and, you know, get nervous in these games where, you know, you really ought to be able to handle your business. In 2020, that just didn't happen. And, I mean, again, we're talking about an 8-4 and four team, the really an 8-3 and three team because they didn't take the Oklahoma game all that seriously. One of those losses is to Alabama. One of those losses is to Texas A&M, who finished top four in the country. So the LSU game, again, I, to go back to what you said, Nick, I think it's a great way to describe it. None of us are over it yet, and that's the one that sticks in our mind as just you know sort of the microcosm of the entire year. And, um, you know, the, the reality is eight and four ain't good enough, Florida. Um, yeah. And we were, we were 11 and one with a competent defense, and we were – probably 10 and two with a defense that wasn't just awful. <laughs> and and the fact that it was so bad, just that's why we were eight and four. And that's why people are frustrated. I get it. I think they will be better this year, but you know, you squandered the, the sort of once in a generation offense that you get. I don't know that you're going to get that again in 2021. So um, yeah, we'll be, we'll have a different set of problems to talk about next year. It'll be, uh, we'll be complaining about how they can't convert third downs on the offensive side of the ball or how they're running the ball too much or, or how Hevesy needs to go or whatever, whatever the, whatever the uh, the coach du jour is that we need to get rid of next year. Because watch, Grantham will put up a top 10 defense and the offense won't be able to move the ball. <laughs> it is uh, it, it is Grantham's last year in his contract. I think we should bring that up. So, uh, well, you know, the we'll... Bengals, the Bengals could make another run after him. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so like I said, there's plenty of names I think you can point to that get you excited. It's just can you get excited because it starts up top. You do, know, we, yeah. do we think tying in the last episode? Do we think the running game is going to help with the defensive side of the ball this year? Because that could be another thing if I'm trying to be – yeah. If we Not can run the ball, 
eat the eat the clock a little more, take longer drives, let the defense get more of a break. Will's already saying though. Didn't work last year. They had like seven and a half minute drives come right out three plays, 75 yards, touchdown. I'm trying, it's like, I'm trying over here. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was optimistic all year long, but I was optimistic because I thought there were going to be changes that were made. And, and that's the thing, right? Is, you know, the entire goal of a college coach is to sell hope to his fan base and Grantham may turn out to be the right coordinator, the right guy for the job. I don't think so, but he may turn out to be that guy, but you're now going through an entire off season where half your fan base at least doesn't have a whole lot of hope in the defensive coaching staff because you've retained Grantham. Um, what does that mean? Usually those sorts of things necessitate changes because, you know, your boosters and your season tickets and all that sort of stuff is sort of tied to those sorts of things. Uh, but it's interesting. So in 2017, we went through the same thing. I mean, where after 2016, I think a large segment of the fan base wanted Doug Nussmeyer gone and McIlwain held on to him and it turned into a dumpster fire. And so I'm still Somebody coined in 2018 when I was being negative about something that I had McIlwain PTSD. I think I still do. I mean, I think I just look back and go, I've seen this movie play on the other side of the ball with an offensive coordinator who was not a difference maker and, in fact, was actively bad, not just not a difference maker. He was well, actively- a different situation a bit here is you and I went into 2020. There were whispers, you know, in Gator Nation that Todd Grantham was never going to be it. And you, know, you and I kind of were the last to kind of, you know, jump off. Okay, okay, it it is time. It it is time to move on. We we hung on for a little while. From Nussmeyer, it was pretty much from the get go. Okay, this isn't going to work. It's terrible hire. You know, we, we could we you saw it. You saw it. We were ready to move on pretty early from that hire. But from Grantham, you know, it was 2018, 2019. You can't fire him after that. You you just can't. You know, I know I know some of the fan base wanted him gone. They they could forecast 2020 in some kind of way. I don't think anybody forecasted it to be that bad. But, I mean, in 2018, 2019, what he showed, you, you you could not get rid of him after that. There was no way a head coach, no head coach was going to do that. No, but that's almost a problem because when he came in in 2018 and you looked at his actual statistical profile, you said this guy isn't going to get us to a national championship. Yeah. And so 2018 and 2019 didn't necessarily disprove that. I think it proved exactly what we saw at Georgia, that he can shepherd a good defense. He's not going to shepherd a great defense, and he doesn't make a huge difference in recruiting. I um, mean, maybe a little bit around the edges, but you know, you get a few more bucks, but good Lord, we've got 75 bucks on the roster. We need a couple of defensive tackles. Like, <laughs> and that was always the complaint about – about Muschamp, right, is that, hey, that's great that you've got all these guys on the defensive side of the ball in the top 10 or top five recruiting class, but we might need like five offensive linemen. Like that might be something that's required for our team. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, there was no way you were going to get rid of him after those two years, and nor do I think you should have. Once you make the decision to hire him, I think that you got to stick with him, especially when the defense improved. I mean, they improved from 2018 to 2019. They were 12th in points per game allowed in 2019. Now, I think they overperformed some of their underlying stats. They were 21st in yards per play allowed, so I think we got a little bit um, – yeah, I, I think they they outperformed their their underlying statistics, but but this year they were seventy fifth in points per game allowed in the country, and uh, that certainly ain't going to get the job done. So yeah, I mean he's he's on the hot seat, man, and there's no doubt about it. And I'm interested to see, like you said, is he going to make changes? I don't know. Um, I don't think so because he hasn't really historically. But hey, gotta give him a shot now because you got to ride with him. Will Will just calmly, rationally explained all that, but. When we give up, let's say, I don't know, 35 to the USF in week two, 
and then we have to play Bama the last week of September before going to LSU. What is going to be the rage level of the fan base with our defense and with Grantham? And, and Will said it, it sounds corny, but the whole having hope thing and have, having some belief in the staff and what they're doing, I think you really – it almost feels like Grantham's a lame, lame duck right now. We're just waiting for that next thing to be outraged by to get rid of him. So I, that's why I think it's at the point. It's not that the guy can't coach. It's not the guy can't do what he does. Like he's had a couple good seasons, he, two two good seasons, one bad season here, right? You can argue like the guy can get it done on some level. But if the fan base has lost that faith, and and like I said, I think the ultimate where for me, the ultimate thing is it costs you a national title. That's got to be a deal breaker right there. And, and that's why I think a lot of the faith is gone. But, I mean, hey, on the other hand, if you come out and you deal with FAU the way you should, you deal with USF the way you should, some of those young players step up, play well, we see some pressure off this, maybe we, we're a little forgiving and they, they come out and have a good performance uh, in the SEC. Maybe, maybe we're a little forgiving. But, Will, it's January. I'm delusional. I got he, it. He's going to have to shut down Bama to win yeah. the fan base back over to his yeah. side. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. That's all. Just just do that. I mean, that, that's the reality, right? Is Bama, is can't, yeah. Bama can't score more than 17. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that, that's what it's going to come down to. I don't know how likely we think that is. Obviously, Bama's replacing an awful lot, too. So maybe they're still sort of finding their way through the season. But they're also replacing everybody who they're losing with, like, the top 10 recruits from the state of Florida. So, uh, you know. He gets a quarterback that everybody thought would push Mac Jones and, and Bryce Young. You know, he was he was supposed to be starting by midseason. I don't think it was this past year. So. <laughs> we're, we're replacing our, our assistants with uh, Urban Myers leftovers in Alabama's replacement they're missing assistance with former NFL head coaches with half of the AFC South. <sighs> okay. Okay. Man, I tried to be so excited a little bit here talking, talking, talking young players anyway, but uh... hey, I'm excited. You know, here's the thing is that yeah. there were a lot of people at the end of the year who were like, Oh, was it really a fun season and things like that? When you made some remarks at the end and said, Hey, this is a fun season. Like only one team wins the title. And Florida's expectation is to win the title. So we've won three in the last, what, 30 years, at 25 years, whatever it is. And so it, you're going to be disappointed 90% of the time if you're, if you're title or bust. So the question is, are you building in the right way? Is your process right? And that sort of thing. And, th- and that's why the Grantham retention, I think, rubs people the wrong way is because it strikes of a patience that most of us don't have with, with this particular coordinator. But – I'm willing, you know, one of the things that I think has been interesting about recruiting is I think Mullen needs to recruit at a higher level in order to win consistently in the SEC. I think that's what the history says. But he's also winning at a level above where you would expect him to win based on the level of recruiting that he's had in this particular conference. So I'm willing to admit that I'm at least partially wrong when it comes to the recruiting aspect and Mullen because I would have expected him to probably take a little bit more of a step back this year based on based on some of the recruiting they've been able to plug some of the holes with transfers and they're going to have an opportunity to do it again this year so you know hey I'm willing to entertain the fact that his process of being patient with his assistant coaches pays off in the long term and maybe he can get Grantham to change some things because he's bought into um, because he's got guys who know he's got their back Right. And that the coach would say, nah, if I'm going down with the ship, you know, if I'm not going down with the ship, I'm going down my way 
And so I'm not going to change. Maybe the fact that Mullen's sort of putting his neck out there for Grantham makes Grantham take a step back and say, okay, there are probably some things we can change. I think that's probably the best case scenario is that the process that Mullen's implementing of being patient with his coordinators and with his, with his assistants pays off in that way, that they reward his loyalty by being willing to listen when, I mean, a guy who's clearly an outstanding football coach in Dan Mullen, who should be able to help a defensive coordinator get better, says something, hopefully they'll listen because of that loyalty. All right. Well said. Well said. Well, uh, guys, uh, read reaction. What you got coming up this week, Will? Yeah, so um, we actually just dropped another podcast for the uh, for the 2020 Hindsight, Ohio State versus Miami in the 2003 Fiesta Bowl. So Nick is an Ohio State homer, so it was a really excruciating podcast to listen to because um, he grew up in Columbus, and so – you know, for some reason, he doesn't think that's pass interference on the on the in the overtime against uh, uh, against uh, Miami there. But uh, yeah, so we got that going at 2020 hindsight. You can find that on iTunes or at the Read and Reaction uh, YouTube site. And then uh, uh, Bill, Bill Sykes was back on Read Reaction. Yeah, and then we had Billy back. He was writing about all SEC and actually. So his was a really cool article looking at DBU. Or looking at blank, blank you, right? So who's QBU, who's RBU um, in the SEC based on all SEC play. Um, and then Nick wrote something about Tennessee earlier in this week. Um, <laughs> just go for the picture that he photoshopped of Phil Fulmer on the body of Grimace from, from McDonald's because, uh, you know, so he, he sort of matched all of the uh, all of the fast food joints with different SEC programs. So that was sort of entertaining. Nick, what, what were some of the better ones? I, I liked the uh, Popeyes. Popeyes, yeah. LSU is Popeyes because in 2019, uh, we thought there was a chance in 2019 that they could become the king of the chicken sandwich. But it turns out they didn't stock their inventory all that well and they had to reshuffle. And by the time they they get their mojo back, Chick-fil-A is back on top. So we know that Alabama obviously being Chick-fil-A. Georgia's Zaxby's pretty good, but not Chick-fil-A good. You know, so it's like you got – it's the different bags that all the programs would use to, to uh, pass out uh, to their recruits. So uh, Kentucky uses uh, uh, KFC because they care more about buckets than anything else. So, <laughs> but yeah, and, uh, American football stories. We're, we're focused still on the NFL a little bit, so we're mostly just covering uh, the championship games going into the Super Bowl. And then uh, so I, I didn't mention my co-host's name last week. I feel bad about that. But Robert Parker, doing that with uh, my co-host, Robert Parker. And uh, we'll have some Super Bowl coverage in, in the next week. But then it's going to turn to recruiting, and we're going to get uh, heavy into uh, college football coverage going forward. Awesome, awesome. Good stuff, guys. Nick, man, thanks for hopping on the last couple of weeks and uh, giving us a preview of these uh, 2021 Gators, both sides of the ball there, and uh, good stuff, man, good stuff. Had a great time. Uh, I'll be on anytime you call, Dave. Thanks Sounds a lot. Good. Sounds good. Sounds good. That's Nick Newton. You can find him at American Football Stories. Uh, Nick, what's your uh, Twitter handle out there? So people uh, know. At Nick Newton FB, K-N-U-D-S-E-N, at Nick Newton FB. All right, and for Will Miles, you can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>